I spent a little bit of time this week looking around various bookshelves here and at home until I found it, this book, Stride Toward Freedom, the first book that Martin Luther King ever wrote. My mom gave it to me a long, long time ago. I can't even remember when. And it's, it's a quite a beautiful book. It was published in the late 50s. It tells the story of Martin Luther King's first pastorate at the Dexter Avenue Church in the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. The start of the book, he sets the scene by saying that before going to Montgomery, his wife Coretta, they'd only been married a year, they were living in Boston, and he was finishing up his PhD at BU. And Coretta was, had a, a fledgling singing career. And they both liked living in the North where there was no legalized segregation. There was certainly segregation, but at least wasn't enforced by the law. And he wrote, we agreed that in spite of the disadvantages and inevitable sacrifices, our greatest service could be rendered in our native South. We came to the conclusion that we had something of a moral obligation to return, at least for a few years. In the first chapter of the book, King tells about Dexter Avenue's reputation as what he called a silk stocking church. He also said it was a church for the big folks, he said, catering only to a certain class. And from the start, he made an effort to welcome people from all walks of life and all classes. And at the same time, he was also concerned to broaden the outreach programs of the church. And he says, among the new functions I decided to recommend were a committee to revitalize religious education, a social service committee to channel and invigorate services to the sick and needy, a social and political action committee, a committee to raise and administer scholarship funds for high school graduates, and a cultural committee to, to give encouragement to promising artists. He describes the work of those days, finishing up his doctoral dissertation, getting to know the members of the church, attending lots of meetings, preparing his Sunday sermon, which he says he spent at least 15 hours a week on. In those days, he dove deep from the start into the good and demanding requirements of parish ministry. And in those days, he had no idea what the future was about to hold. It was just a little over a year later that a black woman named Rosa Parks was returning home one evening on a city bus from her job spent all day on her feet at a local department store. She took a seat near the front of the bus. But before long, as more and more white passengers came onto this crowded bus, the driver ordered her and three other black riders to move to the back where there were no seats so they would have to stand for the rest of their journeys. 
rather than stand at the back of the bus, Rosa Parks remained where she was, refusing to give up her seat. Her feet were tired, and she was tired of the indignity and injustice of Jim Crow segregation. The driver pulled over, called the police. I don't know how he did that, because he didn't have a cell phone. The story doesn't tell how that happened, but the police came. Rosa Parks was arrested and jailed. And this became a tipping point for a small number of black leaders in Montgomery. They got together, had a quick meeting, and they vowed that it was time to no longer cooperate with that unjust system. They were going to stop riding the city buses. They spread the word that Sunday in churches, and they got the church mimeograph machines cranking to copy flyers and get them distributed. They formed an organization called the Montgomery Improvement Association, and they elected Martin Luther King Jr. as their leader. The next day, Monday, December 5th, was the first day of this hastily organized boycott. King says that he and Coretta woke early that day. He thought that their effort would be a success if 60% of the black riders stayed off the buses. Around six in the morning, he was in their kitchen drinking a cup of coffee when Coretta called out, Martin, Martin, come quickly, pointing to the first of the morning buses that would pass by their house. She called out, darling, it's empty. King writes, I could hardly believe what I saw. I knew that the South Jackson line, which ran past our house, carried more Negro passengers than any other line in Montgomery, and that this first bus was usually filled with domestic workers going to their jobs. Fifteen minutes later, the next bus rolled down the street, and like the first, it was empty. The Montgomery bus boycott went on for over a year. People walked miles to and from work in all kinds of weather, sometimes under threats and intimidation. And the protest only came to an end after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that segregation on the city buses of Montgomery was unlawful. And then black people and white people started riding those buses together. Slowly, things began to change in Montgomery, and the civil rights movement was underway. Our worship theme this month is shared ministry. And I'm so grateful to Sophia Lyons, our former intern, for her presence and preaching last Sunday. It was good to have her back, even if only on Zoom. And her articulation of shared ministry will stay with me. And I trust it will with you too. Shared ministry, she said, is the continuous practice of centering in your gifts. That's what it's all about. And so I wonder, do you know what your gifts are? Do you know that this is deep and important work to acknowledge and claim your particular gifts and then put them to use? It is liberating and joyful work 
My second year in seminary, I did field education in a UU congregation not far from here. At the time, I thought I was headed for some kind of chaplaincy and really didn't think I wanted to serve in the church. But working there changed me. It, one day I realized that there was a joy and a feeling used in that work so much that it didn't really feel like work to me at all. I'd found my calling. And so I wonder about you, no matter how old you are. You know, it can be easy to sometimes miss the things that we're good at. Things that come naturally, sometimes we take them for granted. And I wonder, have you ever asked yourself, what are my gifts? What do I love to do? What do I have to offer? I hope this church provides a space for this kind of exploration, for connection, for sacred play, where you might even discover some gifts that you never knew you had. We should be a place that helps you, as Sophia described, to be centered in your gifts and sharing in your ministries, a place for taking your turn and giving others turns, a place where you will tap into joy, where you will feel spiritually deepened and feel connected and this joy and this spiritual deepening and connectedness will spark resilience and wonder and presence and hope and healing. Thanks, Sophia. And I kind of want to warn you that this project of shared ministry, it isn't just going to be a theme for the month. It will be, I hope, an ongoing conversation and a way of being that we will take up and embrace as a new and intentional practice, a life-giving and liberating way of doing church and of living out in the world. I often find myself wishing that I was a better organizer. There are lots of ways that could be helpful around here, but this is not one of my gifts. Some of you know that already. And you didn't call me as your minister because of my stellar organizational skills, because I don't have them. And that's not my job. When you heard Martin Luther King's description of how he started off his ministry there in Montgomery, did you notice the words he used to describe those new efforts? He said, I decided to recommend. He didn't say, I organized, I led, I supervised. No, he recommended some things to the leaders of the church, trusting them to choose, trusting them to choose if they were going to move those things forward or not. And you know, the truth is, Martin Luther King, with all his gifts, he was no organizer. I wonder if you've seen the new movie that came out just a few months ago called Rustin. It's about Bayard Rustin, 
who was a friend of King's from back in those days, he was also an unknown and unsung leader of the civil rights movement. Now, Bayard Rustin, he was an organizer. And if you haven't seen the movie, I hope you will, because you want and need to know his story. And in that movie, it shows him in all his imperfectly human glory. Rustin and the many people that he recruited and organized, they were the ones who made the March on Washington possible. That day that we can all remember photographs of, some of you might remember watching it on TV, maybe some of you were even there. That day in 1963 when over 200,000 people gathered out in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And I wonder these days, without Rustin, would King's I Have a Dream speech that he gave that day, would it have ever come to life? It was King's poetic and prophetic vision that woke up white America. But it was organizers like Rustin and thousands of other ordinary citizens, courageous and committed citizens, who built the stage on which King stood who in their bodies, marching, protesting, being, being beaten, subjected to fire hoses and dogs, and still responding to hate with love. They are the ones who carried forward the civil rights movement that changed America and is still changing our country. This is an old story. On Friday night at Temple Emmanuel, those of us there heard the rabbi read some words from Michael Walzer that she did, they're in their prayer book, but she wrote, chose these and read them quite spontaneously. They describe Israel's exodus from Egypt. That exodus, which then inspired thousands of years later, the civil rights movement. The words the rabbi read about those, that wherever we go, it is eternally Egypt, that there is a better place, a promised land, that the winding way to that promise passes through the wilderness, that there is no way to get from here to there, except by joining hands, marching together. The Montgomery bus boycott was a first step in the civil rights movement, and it shows what ordinary people can accomplish with inspiration and courage, joining hands and marching together. Do you see that this story, what happened in Montgomery, is a story of shared ministry? In that book, this book, Stride Toward Freedom, Martin Luther King wrote, while the nature of this account causes me to make frequent use of the pronoun I, in every important part of the story, it should be we. This is not a drama with only one actor. More precisely, it is the chronicle of 50,000 Negroes who took to heart the principles of nonviolence, 
who learned to fight for their rights with the weapon of love, and who in the process acquired a new estimate of their own human worth. The majority of the Negroes who took part in the year-long boycott were poor and untutored, but they understood the essence of the Montgomery movement. One elderly woman summed it up for the rest. When asked after several weeks of walking whether she was tired, she answered, my feet's is tired, but my soul is at rest. Can we let this be our encouragement and inspiration? To give our hands to struggle, to put our gifts to use, to take up the work that we are called to do, so that at the end, our bodies will be tired and our souls will be at rest. Our souls will be at rest, and we will have done our part to help heal and bless our world. Amen.